Welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at Watch It Baptist Church. You're joining us for the final part in our series looking at the letter in the New Testament. It's called 1 Peter, written by Peter to churches in what is now Western Turkey. We're going to be looking at the whole of the last chapter, chapter 5. We're going to read it in a moment. Before we do that, as always, we're going to pray first. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be distracted, confused or muddled by our own thinking. What we want is for your Holy Spirit to show us what you're looking for, the message that you want us to hear, the places that you want us to go. So please will you guide us, cut through our muddle and our confusion, if there is any, and put us on the path that leads in the direction that you're calling. Amen. So this is 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the face, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, as does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. It's never really my intention to talk for a long, long time when we do these teaching slots. Sometimes I get very excited about what I think uh, the Bible might have to say to us. And sometimes it feels as a lot going on and I want to unpack as much as I can. Never really that I want to go on for ages and so this time round I'm going to try to stick to something quite simple. I think that this chapter does three things that belong together. Those things are a call on elders, leaders, influences in the church, a call on those who they might influence as well, and then a warning about what happens if those pieces of advice aren't followed. But to put that into some kind of context, I want to tell you a little story. Years ago, I was a journalist working in a town called Lowestoft in Suffolk, and I had an enormously satisfying opportunity in that role to challenge in court, stand up and actually talk to the magistrate and say, I think you should do this. 
think it was Sir, I think it was a male chair of the bench on that occasion. And it was to do with antisocial behaviour orders. We don't hear so much about them now, but they were new and exciting at the time. And there were five lads on a particular estate in Lowestoft who were causing absolute mayhem. And the police had managed to draw them to the court's attention, get them in front of them, and there was an application for antisocial behaviour orders for all five of them that would limit where they could go and what they could do. All of them, except one, were under 18. And so under normal procedure, they are protected. Their identity is kept anonymous. However, I was of the opinion, and so is the law when it comes to antisocial behaviour orders, that those orders can't work very well if people don't know who they apply to. So I said, I don't think it's appropriate to hide them away when they're causing trouble and when people need to be able to see if they're in the wrong place doing the wrong things. And I was very, very pleased to be successful. We were able to publish names and photographs of all five. And I think things did get a bit better on that housing estate. Now, the reason I mention this is because in order for that job to be done well, that good piece of journalism, there was a whole load of stuff that needed to happen. I needed to run the point, if you like, to be at the cutting edge in that courtroom talking to that magistrate. At the same time, I needed to be able to record accurately what was happening in that courtroom so that I could tell people about it afterwards. So I needed shorthand. I also needed a really good understanding of media law. There's no point in me challenging something if I'm not confident that I understand the law well enough to be able to say why my challenge should work. I don't need to be a lawyer, but I do need to understand how it applies in my situation. I also needed a photographer, somebody who was going to capture those five guys, and he did a great job. He was out of, more or less out of sight at the front of court, on the pavement, uh, so it was in public, and he managed to capture all five of them. I needed good advice from my news editor. I needed support from my chief reporter. I was still fairly new at the time. So he helped me how to write it well, make it say what it needed to say in the best way possible, in the most concise way possible. You see how many people around me at that point have been part of it. So people who trained me, people who were mentoring me, people who were my bosses, people who were my colleagues. I did good journalism that day. But I did it because I was part of something, part of something bigger than just me. In these verses from 1 Peter, Peter is keen to address two different sets of people. And in both cases, he wants them to understand what their place is in a bigger community, in a wider situation than just them. We talk to elders first. And the risk for us is that we end up thinking, well, this is a piece of teaching that's just for pastors or maybe just for deacons. Definitely the case that it is for those people. But my concern is that we end up not including in that group people who are influencers in the church, people who have um, a lot of experience of being a disciple. There will always be in churches people who don't hold a formal role, but they are still people who, when they speak, everyone stops and listens. It's appropriate that we have people in that, in every community who have that kind of function, and we look up to them for good reasons. So I want to think, I think it's important that we consider at least that 
this instruction from Peter counts for those people as well. And then when we think about the expectations on elders, we think about the expectations not just on those with formal roles, but all those who have influence, who bring a sense of authority or certainty in how they go about being disciples and functioning as part of the church. When it then comes to those, I think Peter refers to them as younger ones, he's just saying those who aren't those influences, those who aren't in those leadership roles. But I think it's important then as well that we recognise all the ways in which we sit under other, under other people's authority or influence or leadership. It may surprise some of you, I hope it won't surprise too many, to know that I consider myself to be under the authority of others. I'm under the authority, because we're a Baptist church, of the church meeting. We tend to call that a partners meeting or maybe even a, a meeting of the church family. But that's something that I sit under the authority of. And when people in that context talk about their understanding of how God is taking us forward, it's important that I listen. So you've got these two groups, but lots of us will have some ways in which we fit into both, sometimes at the same time. Then you've got these instructions to both parties. And then after Peter's given these instructions, he goes on to say, if you don't, you don't follow these instructions well, then you open a door. And the door you open is to the enemy, and the enemy gets a to have a little bit of a runaround inside your church community. I am absolutely somebody who believes that when one thing follows another in the Bible, it, that it's because it belongs. And we have this chunk at the end of these uh, verses about how the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. And I don't think for a moment that that's supposed to be taken as separate and distinct and unattached to the stuff that comes before it. The stuff that comes before it has at its heart humility. And it has humility as a way of recognising how this community of disciples will function together. If, Peter says, you don't bring humility to this situation, whether you are a leader or a follower, whether you are an influencer or somebody who is influenced, whether you are long in the tooth in your faith or whether you're new to it, Humility is key, because if you don't have humility, you don't function together. And if you don't function together, you function divided. And that's when the enemy can easily get in. He is prowling around looking for an opportunity to take out those who follow Jesus, to distract them and disturb them and remove them, to push them against each other rather than with each other. You imagine um, in that context, a very rural uh, landscape around them in a rural economy you might imagine two oxen pulling together uh, on a piece of equipment in a field maybe a plow and that's okay but if those oxen try to go in different directions not only do you have an inability to get the job done you also have chaos and struggle and a failure actually to be able to go anywhere at all that's the kind of thing I think Peter's going for. So what does humility mean then for leaders? Well, I want to suggest that the best place to start is by looking back at the text. Let's do that. So Peter says, and we see this in verse 2, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, 
watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter wants the people he's writing to, particularly those in positions of leadership, to recognise that their role is that of a shepherd. Now, Peter takes this kind of imagery from Jesus himself. And Jesus borrows it from the Old Testament way that God talks through his prophets to those who lead his people. A shepherd's job is to lead, lead by having a voice that other people recognise and can follow. Leads in a way that takes people to places of nourishment, of refreshing, of safety, of shelter. Leads in a way that doesn't lose track of any one of those that are being led. You see how a shepherd's responsibility is broad and time-consuming and sometimes intense. But it is the message that Peter wants to give, a, give over. Think of a shepherd, he says. Think of how Jesus talked about the shepherds. Think of how the Old Testament talks about shepherds. Be that. And notice that it identifies two particular potential pitfalls. One is not seeking dishonest gain. Uh, I'm not sure quite how that works for us. But I know at the time, elders would often be sort of venerated, given places of high regard or high esteem, and so often gifts would come their way, and they would not always temper how that happened. They would allow themselves to get rich. But also, he says, not lording it over, not saying, well, because I have experience, because I have some sense of you know, having walked with Jesus for a while or whatever it might be, that, that means that my word goes, or that my word is more important, or that I have an authority that other people should just accept. Not lording it over others. I find this a real challenge. In fact, I find leadership in churches a real challenge because of this kind of thing. Not because I want to lord it over others, but because I have to find a balance between providing clear, definitive direction but also not lording it over people. So not at any point saying, well, because I think this, that means that we should, that's what we should all do. We operate as a Baptist church to a model that says we all hear from God. And so we identify together what God is saying, and then we go forward on the basis of that understanding. My role is then to provide an idea of what the direction might be to help people come together to seek God together, to bring to our attention things that might otherwise get missed, and also to be the voice of somebody who has spent time training and qualifying to understand how churches work and what the Bible might say. I'm not the only one who has these qualifications, and I'm not to lord it over people, but I also have that role that is important that I exercise. If you think you've got a magic answer for how that's supposed to work, I'd love to chat it through with you. Do you see what I mean, though? The humility that is needed from all of those who have leadership or authority or influence has a lot to do with a gentle and nurturing approach to where we go. An approach that says we listen to God and then we look to take uh, the community together forward in a way that reflects where we think God wants us to go. You'll notice that Peter refers to 
the chief shepherd. So for all that those with influence, those with leadership roles and responsibilities may have shepherding, do have shepherding responsibilities, we're also answerable to someone else. And on that basis, we should be humble. And then let's look at those who are perhaps uh, in a different place. So in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I, I am, as somebody who struggles with my mental health, I've encountered people who believe that that verse, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, is about mental health. And it's not. It, any reading of it in context tells you that. It may well be about the struggle against um, the struggle in response to persecution, uh, which Peter is talking about earlier. But I think probably it has more to do with those who are anxious within the context of the community of disciples. And God is saying through Peter, don't, don't be anxious, don't worry, because humility that you and your influencers bring will allow you to sit together will allow you to understand each other. And don't forget, only um, in chapter four, Peter reminds us that love covers over a multitude of sins. Yeah? We love one another and we show humility towards one another. Actually, most things, if not everything, result, resolves or can be resolved, humility and love. So Peter is saying, humility is gonna be the answer to making this work. And that means not assuming that the thing you think is necessarily what everyone else should think. And then we come to that little stretch about the enemy and how the enemy gets involved. Let's have a little look at that too. Be alert and a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So within the context of this need for humility, Peter comes straight in and says, look guys, the enemy, the devil, is looking for a way in. He's looking for an opportunity to cause division, to cause uh, conflict and, and confrontation. He wants the church's energy to be spent on disputes within the church because when that, when that energy is spent that way, it is not spent telling anyone about the good news. When we're preoccupied with points of doctrine, when we're preoccupied with structural considerations and finances and whatever else, very rapidly as disciples, we stop demonstrating to the world what Jesus' love can do what Jesus' acceptance can bring. And instead, we end up focused inward. Humility, Peter says, is the answer to that. Humility that says, doesn't have to be my way. I will allow myself to be under somebody else's guidance or authority. Not because I want to be trampled on by them, not because I'm going to stop thinking for myself, but because humility is what makes the relationships work best. And finally, Peter reinforces this idea of the family of believers around the world 
by talking about the greetings that he sends. He says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. So she who is in Babylon is understood to be the church of Christians in Rome. Babylon being a code word for Rome. And he's saying, look, we're with you. We stand with you. You're not on your own. You're part of something bigger. You're part of something that Jesus is doing around the world. And how you do it may sometimes be a struggle. It may sometimes be something that you're not sure how to get your head around. It may sometimes feel depressing or frustrating or make you anxious. But you're part of something bigger. And he says this against the backdrop that he's been banging on about all the way through. You have new life. You have a new reason for living, a living hope. You have an invitation to an inheritance to join the family of Jesus. All of these things are yours. And take confidence from them. Be reassured. This church that Jesus is building is going to do all right. It's going to be okay. And it's going to be okay because Jesus is in it. And as long as we reflect his humility, as long as we carry forward his love and his commitment to community, it's going to be okay. And we don't need to be anxious. Let's pray. Lord, give us patience with one another. Help us to find places and attitudes of humility towards one another. Help us call each other to account. Help us submit to each other too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, then let's ask our questions as we bring our session to a close. Question one, who are the leaders and influencers around you? Take a moment, identify who they are. We're thinking in terms of the church here and particularly thinking about the local expression of church, which is the kind of thing Peter was talking about. In your context of church, who are the leaders, those with formal or informal roles who will lead? And who are the influencers who perhaps don't look like leaders but still have that kind of voice? Question two, in what ways are we tempted to be less humble in a church setting? This question really is about identifying actual things. So saying, here is a way in which I'm tempted to be less humble. I'm tempted to want to get my voice heard more, or tempted to want to influence others. What are, the, what are the subject areas where that's the case for you? What are the issues that make you feel that way? Question three. We've talked a little bit about how the devil is looking for a chance to get in and keep our energy focused on where we differ and how we might see things differently and, and perhaps how division might develop. What do you think your church, our church, is currently giving its energy to? Well, that's it from me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for walking with us through 1 Peter. Take good care. I hope to catch up with you soon. All the best.